0: Back to another episode of the Critics Corner podcast, Yankee Weekly Recap edition. We are back for another week, another great week of Yankee baseball. I'm actually recording this early Saturday or Sunday, um, about noon Eastern time, because the game today has already been postponed due to um, the hurricane that they got going up there on the East Coast, but. Either way, despite the Sunday rainout, the Yankees still had a great week of baseball going seven and0, sweeping the Boston Red Sox. I would like to personally congratulate the, the Red Sox and especially their fans on winning the, the uh, World Series title back in July when they were 10 and a half games up in the division, and their fans were already throwing parades um, through the Boston streets um, anointing their team as world series champions. Well, um, as we sit here in August when the games actually really matter, um, in a pennant race and Boston's currently not even in a playoff position, um, things are just looking a little bit different for their fans right about now, but, um, just had to throw that out there. I would like to congratulate the Red Sox on winning the world series in July, um, the Yankees, you know, they, they actually keep playing in the second half of the season, as they do know that, you know, that's really when the games matter the most. And um, sure enough, they had another great week this week going 7-0, and like I said. Uh, we can start out on Monday uh, with that makeup game with the Los Angeles Angels. That uh, there, It was the series that the Yankees played the Angels. Um, it, the, it was actually that series where we went ahead like 8 nothing on Otani. Um, and got got him pulled in the first inning and then somehow ended up losing that game the Yankees have had a lot of really bad losses this year and that one is one that really stands out to me but this was a makeup game from that series two um, one win for the Yankees against the Angels on Monday and I should note that the Yankees did enter the week five and a half games back in the division and two and a half games back in the wild card um, that definitely changed as we will see at the end of the at the end of the recap Um Cole got the start in this game, um, his first, his first start back from the COVID IL. There was a bit of, I don't know, maybe pushback on Boone for letting him start this game instead of the Tuesday, one of the Tuesday doubleheader games against Boston. Um, some people thought that maybe Boone was afraid to use him in a high leverage game, a seven inning game against Boston, whatever, because Boston kind of has hit Cole well this season, um. So maybe it was better to just let let Cole get um, his feet under him in this LA game, and I don't I don't care that's fine by me. Um, the Yankees swept Boston anyways. Um, looking back on it, but Cole, yeah, he he pitched this game um, for the Yankees. He did give up a home run in the first to Justin Upton with two outs. Um, that was that did end up being the Angels' only run of the game, but it was a little disappointing to you know for him to get two quick outs and then give up a home run to Upton, but. Turned out not to matter because the Yankees were facing Jose Suarez. So actually, he had a three-nine ERA entering the game. He was a sinker baller, throwing like ninety-three miles an hour, curveball upper seventies, changeup in the low eighties. He did a really good job of keeping the Yankees' bat at bay for bats at bay for, for most of the game. Actually, the only damage the Yankees had in this game actually against the the Angels was that Joey Gallo two-run home run in the first scoring judge to make it 2-1 Yankees and that was literally the, the only three runs in this game were in the first inning um, so turns out Gallo ended up having the game-winning home run in the first inning as for Cole he had his stuff working pretty well um, despite that first inning home run he, he hit triple digits in the second inning um, and he did have five strikeouts through two innings pitched um, he kept it going Um, he got into a little bit of a jam in the fifth, but Jonathan Davis, who ended up getting sent down, got optioned to triple A. Um, he did make that great play. If anyone remembers in center covering a lot of ground and catching that ball in, in right center. Um, so that was, I think that would have given the angels the lead or tied the game up. Um, so yeah, he threw four innings. Cole was, um, he struck out eight and retired nine in a row. Um, he did get pulled with two outs in the sixth after O'Dor made an error at third. So, you know, overall pretty solid outing for Cole um, with his first outing back from the COVID IL. He had all of his pitches working pretty well. Didn't really seem to miss a beat um, after being out with COVID. Um, like I said, Jonathan Davis kind of did save him with that nice catch and center to, to keep Cole in line for the win. And then Otani actually, he just missed that home run in the top of the sixth. Uh, It seemed like Cole thought it was gone based on his reaction, but ended up being a pop-up to judge and write. So Cole, his line, 5.2 innings pitched, two hits, one run. It was earned, that home run by Upton, a walk and nine strikeouts. Um, So nine strikeouts in his first uh, game back was pretty impressive. And like I said last week, maybe it's good for, for Cole Maybe it'll be good for Cole to get that those ten days off with on the COVID IL just to give his arm a rest. he missed one or two starts um and really have that arm ready to go going into the pennant the pennant race. And I, I was listening to R2C 2 the podcast with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco And CC who pitched in the bigs, obviously. yeah, uh, Yankee legend. Um he's he was saying that you know, maybe it's it's better to to keep pitching because just because you're in such a groove, and by August you got you really you know you got a feel for what stuff is working for you this season, how you're getting hitters out this season. Um, really, you're just in a groove, and that's that's another side of the argument. Um, I personally think Cole is always going to have his stuff working because he's Garrett freaking Cole, and um maybe it was good for him just to get his arm a little bit of a rest for a couple weeks there in the sixth jose suarez got in a bit of a jam for uh los angeles he walked the bases loaded with no outs um and then the angels bring in a guy out of the bullpen and of course he strikes out stanton and then voight proceeds to ground out into a double play so the yankees don't get anything out of that was a chance to blow the game open um but nonetheless the yankees didn't um Albert Abreu worked a 10-pitch 1-2-3 inning in the seventh for the Yankees. He had a great week. He could have been my pitcher of the week, um, but I decided to go elsewhere. But he was very, very impressive out of the bullpen. And he's, he's moving up the trust tree rankings, basically meaning that Boone trusts him a lot more than he did, say, three weeks ago. And he might be a guy that the Yankees use out of the bullpen in, in October if they make the playoffs. Um, it seems like there's a lot of guys all of a sudden out of the Yankees bullpen that are capable of throwing high leverage um, high leverage innings. And that's really good. That's a good thing to have. A lot of guys out of the bullpen that can come in and get outs. Um, let's see. Abreu pitched two more outs in the eighth, um, got pulled, and Boone wanted to go with a lefty-on-lefty matchup with Otani. Jolie Rodriguez came in and struck him out. Uh, Chad Green closed the game out in the ninth. He did give up a single, but the Yankees got the win 2-1. So really, not a ton to say um, about this game as all the the scoring happened in the first inning. But it was solid makeup game win for the Yankees on Monday. Um, kept the momentum going, off, coming off that good series in Chicago um, and heading into that big, big three game set with Boston in the middle of the in the middle of the week. And so that was that leads me into the doubleheader on Tuesday um, with Boston. Um, Seven-inning doubleheader. Jordan Montgomery got his first start back from the COVID IL in the afternoon game. Um, he he looked pretty solid early. His stuff was his off-speed stuff was really tight, and he was getting a lot of swings and misses early. Um, he did give up two runs uh, on that single by Bogarts, um, scoring Dahlbeck and Hernandez in the third. That actually tied it up after the Yankees had. Um, scored two runs in the in the second bottom of the second with andrew velasquez's single with the bases loaded scoring void and odour um, so and shout out to andrew velasquez i'll talk about him a little bit later but he has been super impressive filling in for Galeber torres who is on the injured list with that uh i think it's his wrist or hand or something when he was sliding into into second base in, in that series against the mariners we haven't seen him in a while but Velasquez has done a great job filling in for him yeah and then so Montgomery gave up that single and then he gave up um another another home run uh in the fifth or sorry a a home run in the fifth to Christian Velasquez that solo shot to make it three two and that's when his night was pretty much over um I guess his day so he his line was 4.2 innings pitched five hits three runs all of them earned Two walks, six strikeouts, and a homer. So, nothing crazy. Uh, you know, he he. I guess he, like I always say, he kept the Yankees in a position to win the game. So I can't really complain. Um, but he wasn't amazing. He could have, you know, maybe gotten out of the, that jam against in the si- in the third. Um, but can't complain for Montgomery. Like I said. Um, so the Yankees go go behind three two in the fifth. But then in the bottom of the inning, get the bases loaded with, with one out. Voit. Drops in that bloop single to right center field um, in between J.D. Martinez and the second baseman, Kike Hernandez. Judge uh, Gardner scored, and then Judge did a great job base running there to score and give the Yankees the lead for three. Judge didn't seem to hesitate and scored pretty easily from second base on a play where that ball could have been caught, So, um, and there was one out. So, I don't know, aggressive and base running and ended up being a good thing for Judge. And then Stanton comes in and singles to make it five three Yankees. And you know maybe you thought, oh, you know this easy way to end the game. Yankees are going to cruise to the finish. The bullpen's going to shut them down. <laughs> that wasn't the case. The bottom of the seventh, LaVisa got the bases loaded. He he was pitching the eight, a little bit of the sixth too. Um, and then he he um the bases were loaded. He walked the bases loaded. I think there was a single in there too in the bottom of the 7th, with zero outs. First batter, he gets Shaw to fly out to left. Maybe the guy could have tried to score from third, but it probably wasn't worth it just because of this fact that it was 5-3 and that 5-4 run doesn't make a huge difference. You wouldn't want to trade you know, an out there. So the Red Sox decided not to be aggressive. Lois got the, strikeout, or the uh, fly out there, and then he proceeds to strike out um, Kike Hernandez, who he was, he went behind three 0 on him and it looked like he was going to walk in, um, or run, but struck out Kike and then struck out Hunter Renfro and the Yankees win, um, super nerve wracking ending there. Luaisica did pitch two innings. Um, so that, re- I think that win, the way they won that game at the end really gave the Yankees momentum heading into the rest of the series and just the rest of the week, um, yeah, in typical Yankee fashion, they made it as nerve-wracking as possible in the 7th, um, but got out of it and got the win. Rallied behind, another come-from-behind win. When Vasquez hit that home run in the 5th, it was a little bit deflating. The Yankees didn't care. They had good patient at-bats in the 5th, took the lead in the 5th, and never looked back. So great job. Winning that first game is always big. And then in the second game, Luis Gil got the start. He entered the game with a 0 ERA and 2 starts and fun and just a, spo- a spoiler he still has a zero era after his start he went 4.2 innings pitch three hits zero runs uh four walks and four strikeouts he just looks so poised and calm on the mound for a rookie making his third start he like no situation seems to phase him he looks like he belongs out there and he owns the moment i love that about Luis heel there's a lot of noise that the Yankees are going to move him into the pen um once some of these starters come back but I don't know I I really like him I don't see why he has done anything to earn himself um, a spot in the bullpen I think he he earns himself another start here with this um, outing against Boston Um, that slider was really tight in in the game that night and uh, he was able to get strikeouts with that fastball which reaches the upper nineties so very impressed by him. Avaldi was pitching for the Red Sox. He's traditionally a Yankee killer and he was still pretty good today. Um, he only gave up a solo homer to Luke Voigt in the second and then another home run to Stanton um, on a hanging slider in the fourth, that made it two nothing Yankees. That homer went 441 feet, by the way. Absolute tank from Stanton, who had a pretty solid week. Uh, he's been more consistent of late. I know he had a, a difficult week last week, but he kind of picked it up. Um, so overall, he's had a pretty solid. He's had a pretty solid August. Um, so I can't complain about him. Only real damage the Yankees got in in this game was in the fifth. Um, there was bases loaded with two outs. Yankees bring on Jolie Rodriguez, who seems to be a guy that Boone likes using, uh, for lefty on lefty matchups, um, in certain situations, clutch, high leverage situations, as they say, um, he got Devers to ground out to second, four, six, um, and yeah, that was really it. Um, the Yankees, the bullpen did a really good job. Uh, Wandy Peralta did have that play in the sixth with runners on the corner where Dahlbeck hit the line drive right off him. Uh, Wandy Peralta ran to the third baseline, fired and got Dahlbeck out at first. So that was a clutch out to get out of the inning. But Chad Green came in in the seventh to close out the game and the Yankees won the doubleheader, won both games. Um, Offense was a little disappointing in the in the second game but I do know that Nathan Eovaldi is a really good pitcher and does a good job against the Yankees so yeah um Luis Hill was really solid he pitched he has pitched 15.2 innings in his like in his Yankee debut and his since he's got called up um and he has not given up a single run that is the longest streak by a Yankee pitcher in the expansion era which started in 1961 since Jabba Chamberlain did it. uh, He pitched 15.1 innings um, without giving up a run. So Luis Hill, man, I don't think anyone really expected him to be this good. And he's been lights out. So I think he's going to start again this week, probably against Atlanta. I'm not positive. Um, If it's not against Atlanta, it'll be one of the first games in Oakland. But yeah, he's earned himself another start. So he's just been nothing but impressive of late. Abreu, Peralta, and Green were all solid out of the bullpen and the Yankees. After this win, they vaulted into the second wildcard spot ahead of Boston um, and were looking to finish off the sweep in the game on Wednesday night. And interestingly enough, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but this is the game where Voigt uh, had those quotes after the game. He said, basically he was talking about the playing time with him and Rizzo because obviously the Yankees made that trade for Rizzo simply because Voigt had been struggling. Been a, spent a lot of time on the injured list this year as well and after the game he said you know i was top 10 in voting and this is a quote i i was top 10 in mvp voting last year and i've been a great player for this organization for the last three years i'm not going down i want to play i know it's going to be tough with rizzo but i deserve to play as much as he does and then he goes on to say i led the league in home runs last year and i feel really good again obviously the injury bug is the reason he's here but because of me uh, but I hope Booney can do whatever he can to give me some consistent at-bats. And he's, you know, that's the end quote. And, you know, he's totally right in saying that. he He's earned himself some playing time with the way he's played this week. Um, and Boone, I do believe, said that he is going to find ways to get him in the lineup and Rizzo in the lineup, whether it be mixing up the DH, making Stanton play some outfield. Um, but Voight has definitely earned that playing time. It's a little funny that he always he keeps quoting like the MVP voting from last year and the leading the league and the home runs from last year. Like I know he did, but come on, it was a sixty game season. Like I don't really put much stock at all into like the awards from last season and the stats from last season. Um, the, the The Dodgers totally deserve the World Series. Like it was an earned World Series, but like individual statistics, I just don't put too much stock into them because a lot of players, you know, played. Maybe around 40 games 50 games because there weren't many players that played all 60 so yeah I, outside of that stuff he definitely deserves to play I don't I wouldn't go ahead go around quoting last season like it was super impressive or anything like he hit 22 home runs in 60 games like well that, that's pretty great don't get me wrong but it was only 60 games if it was 162 game season I doubt he would have you know led the league in homers but nonetheless he has been very impressive um, to start out the to start out his return from the injured list and with Voight, or with Rizzo being injured, but Rizzo did come back um, for that Wednesday night game against Boston. He ended up hitting second. Um, Aroldis Chapman was also activated from the injured list, and Andrew Heaney he got the start for the Yankees. He was looking for his first productive start in pinstripes. He had been pretty bad for the Yankees in his first three starts. Most recently the one in the Field of Dreams game where he got he got hit around pretty well. Um and sure enough, Heaney gives up a home run to Bogart's opposite field upper deck bomb in the first inning and it, you know everyone's like, oh Lord, here we go again. But the man freaking turned it around. He threw seven amazing innings. It was a gem from Andrew Heaney, his best start in pinstripes by far. He had all of his pitches working. His fastball was not super flat and had a little bit of movement. The the Red Sox were struggling significantly to hit him. Um, He didn't get a ton of strikeouts, only four on the day. Um, A lot of weak contact from the Red Sox. Um, So I was super impressed by Heaney. I was honestly happy for him because I'm sure there was a lot of pressure on him. Um, like just internally, with all the outside noise from you know how it is pitching in, in the Bronx, there's always you know added pressure playing for the Yankees. We've seen guys like Randy Johnson, all-time legend, um, just not cut it for for the team because maybe they just weren't cut out for the the New York market. So, I was happy for Heaney and his his great um, his great outing against Boston. He went seven innings pitched, only two hits, one run, it was earned. Uh, two walks and four strikeouts, like I said, and he gave up that homer to Bogarts. But other than that, that was it. He was he was on his stuff tonight and I was really happy for him. Um, I'll mention him a little bit later. Um, in terms of the Yankee scoring, the Yankee, the, the Red Sox were pitching Nick Pavetta. Um, he not one of the better not one of the Red Sox better pitchers, I would say. Um, he, the Yankees got the bases loaded with no outs in the second, Gardner proceeded to hit a sack fly. Scoring Stanton, Andrew Velasquez then single to score Ordour, making it two-one. Rizzo came in clutch with two strikes and two outs. He hit that single off of the first baseman Bobby Dahlbeck, who was kind of like sliding to his left, um, bounced off him, and the Yankees scored two runs to make it four-one. Didn't really look back from there. No scoring from the 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 third to the set or the third through the seventh inning, and then in the bottom the eighth. Velasquez uh, singled on a liner to the outfield, scoring Gary. 5 1 Yanks. Chapman came on in the ninth for his first appearance back from the injured list. Um, Hunter, he didn't get out of the inning, which was kind of frustrating. Hunter Renfro um, hit an absolute bomb to the bleachers and left to make it 5 2. Um, That was it. Yankees ended up winning the game. So they finished off the sweep, ended up being a great series for the Yankees um, sweeping the Red Sox who they started out the that series behind them in the wild card Um, that final game you know the bats really came to life early and and uh, knocked out Nick Pavetta only after 1.2 innings pitched he gave up four earned runs in that time I wish the bats did a better job against Boston's bullpen who ended up only giving up one run I think Boston's bullpen is definitely the weak point. They don't really have many guys coming out of there that can be impressive or can get outs in high leverage situations. Um, no big names, I guess you could say, out of that bullpen, but that didn't matter. The Yankees um, scored too many runs early and Boston wasn't able to do anything against Heaney. Um, Heaney threw a gem, you know. Um, Britain came in through an inning, um, was solid. Chapman struggled. And then Lickie came in to finish it off. And also that was the game Velasquez made that nice... Diving play and Rizzo had that nice scoop at first to seal the win. Um, so, yeah, we swept the Red Sox. They, they, the Red Sox were 10 and a half games ahead of the Yankees just over a month ago. Um, and the, now the Yankees took the lead over Boston and Oakland in the wild card. Just a super impressive turnaround from the Yankees this season. Um, I know there's a lot of baseball left, um, it's still like 40 games or something. 40 50 games so it's definitely not the time to take the foot off the gas pedal they got to keep going Um, it's definitely the dog days Um, all these games are super important Um, so Tampa's still five at that point Tampa was still five games ahead in the division so it's time to you know start gaining ground on them and you know they kind of kept that momentum going into the Minnesota series a team that the Yankees just have absolutely owned over the past like 20 years and the numbers absolutely back that up Heading into the series with Minnesota, the Yankees were 105 and 38. So that's a 734 winning percentage versus the Twins over the past 20 seasons. That includes 16 of 18 wins against Minnesota in the postseason. The Yankees were also 54 and 15, which is a 783 winning percentage against the Twins in Yankee Stadium since 2002. So the Twins are a team that the Yankees just have absolutely owned, and they were looking to keep that going into this series, um, which was supposed to be a four-game set starting on Thursday. And sure enough, uh, they they did. Um, They they won the game on Thursday 7-5, got ahead real early, um, scored four runs in the bottom of the third off of um, John Gant, who got the start for Minnesota. I'm not positive, but I believe he was kind of an opener. I think he's a bullpen guy, but don't quote me on that. Um, Andrew Velasquez hit a triple to left, right center, um, or sorry, to right center. Um, Higashioka scored him with an RBI double, one nothing Yankees. Voit then doubled, uh, scoring Higashioka and Wade, making it three nothing. Then Rizzo hit a sack fly to make it four nothing in the third. Um, with two outs in the fourth, Velasquez singled, stealed second, and then Higashioka hit a second deck homer to make it six-nothing, and that's kind of when the game was over. Um, interestingly enough, the Yan- so I think I've talked a lot about the importance of you know stealing bases, bunting, the small ball aspect of, of baseball that the Yankees really hadn't done at all in the first half of the season. And the numbers kind of back that up. They showed a stat on the Fox broadcast on Saturday. Um, That in the first 91 games of the season, the Yankees only stole 20 bases. And then in the past 32 games, they've stolen 30 bases, which is leading the MLB. Where we're seeing guys like, you know, obviously Wade and Velasquez are gonna steal bases, but we're seeing guys like Rizzo and Judge steal bases just on pitches that, you know, they're they're figuring the guy's gonna throw an off pitch. Maybe it'll go in the dirt and this is a good opportunity to steal bases. We're seeing that with the Yankees now, which is like I said, something that we had we did not see at all in the first half of the season. So that kind of goes off Velasquez stealing second there. Um just I, I love the small ball aspect of the game that the Yankees are bringing in. It really does affect winning in my in my opinion. Um, Tyone got the start for the Yankees in this Thursday game. He was really good and up until the sixth when he started losing his stuff. Jake Cave hit that home run to left, which Jake Cave was the guy that the Yankees actually traded to get Luis Heal from Minnesota. So a great trade for the Yankees. Um, there was a single and then a double. Then, so his second and third, and then a two RBI double from Jorge Balanco made it 6-3 Yankees. And that's when Tyone was pulled. So his line, 5.1 in, innings pitched, five hits, three runs, three earned runs, no walks, five strikeouts, and a homer. He was really good through five innings, and then he lost it in the sixth. So overall, an okay start from Tyone, but he is still one of the better pitchers in the Yankees rotation. Um, Wandy Peralta came in when, and was able to get two straight outs. To get out of that jam in the sixth, um, the, but the the twins were not done. They actually cut the deficit to six four in the eighth when Jorge Polanco again ripped an RBI single off of Britain. Um, sure enough, uh, Giancarlo Stanton hit a pretty big homer in the bottom of the eighth, short porch home run to uh, right field, um, line drive home run got out in a second. He really like his home runs are no joke. They're either super fast line drives that get out in a second or absolute tanks that are you know, 40 feet past the, past the fence that made it seven, four Chad green came in the ninth to close it out, gave up a solo shot to Miguel Sano, but the Yankees did end up winning it seven to five. So overall an okay win. Like it was great for the bats to get going early here. A little disappointing that Toyon lost this stuff and the game wasn't over even when it was six, nothing. Still, it got a little bit nerve wracking when the twins made it six, four in the eighth. The Yankees were able to finish it off. So overall, a win, um, good to get off on the right foot against a Minnesota team that the Yankees know they need to take, knew they need to take advantage of. Um, the bullpen was kind of shaky, and I do think Boone has some figuring out to do, like in terms of the way he wants to configure this bullpen down the stretch and into the playoffs if the Yankees do make it. Like Chad Green probably won't be the closer. Um, where are you gonna pitch Britain, who seems to still be struggling a little bit with his confidence? Loizaga, like he is closer capable, but is he going to be a closer in the postseason? Because Chapman and you know, we pay Chapman the big bucks. I bet he feels like he should be the closer. Um But I personally think Loiziga has the stuff to be the closer, to be honest. He's got the best stuff coming out of our pen. Um so Boone has some figuring out to do on where to throw guys. I know it's not as important in the regular season, but come playoff time, um, he's got to figure that out. But after that Thursday game, that meant it was seven straight wins for the Yankees leading into the Friday game, in which Nestor Cortez got the start. Um, he had a 255 ERA going into that game, and he was outstanding again. He really shut down the Twins. Um, he went seven innings pitched, and he threw 104 pitches, which honestly, I had no idea he had that in him when, you know, starting out the season he was just a bullpen guy but ever since he's become a starter he's shown his ability to go deep into the game and really give bullpens a break just because of how effective he is he went seven innings four hits two earned runs two walks seven strikeouts and he did give up a home run it didn't really matter because the yankees got uh got out to an early lead against charlie barnes who entered the game with a 4.91 ERA for Minnesota. So not a super impressive pitcher by any means. Uh, Void had a single with the bases loaded in the bottom of the first to score two runs and make it 2-0. Velasquez walked with the bases loaded to make it 3-0. Gardner singled to make it 4-0. Sanchez did get thrown out for the final out of the inning, but great job by the Yankees to put up a four spot in the first. Um, In the second... DJ LeMahieu singled on the first pitch of the inning and then judge hit an absolute bomb, his 27th of the season, six, nothing Yankees game was essentially over at that point. Um, other scoring Voight had a ground rule double to score Gallo, seven, nothing Yankees. Josh Donaldson had a two run home run off Nestor Cortez to make it seven, two. So that was really the only trouble Nestor Cortez had at all in the game. Um, and then Voight homered and also DJ homered. The Yankees ended up winning two or ten to two. Like I said, not a really a lot of uh, a lot to say about this game. The Yankees bats came alive early, got on a pitcher that they needed to hit. Sure enough, they did. Um, game was pretty much over by the second inning. Cortez was absolutely dealing. He's becoming a fan favorite with that mustache. Um, and yeah, the Yankees just continued to beat up on the Twins, making it eight straight wins heading into Saturday's game, in which Garrett Cole got the start. He entered with a three point zero four ERA and was looking to follow up that impressive start he had against the Angels on Monday, and he he was really solid. Um, he got into a, a small jam in the second and a, a pretty big jam in the fifth, having to throw like a lot of high stress pitches. I think is what John Smoltz kept referring to them as in the um, in the broadcast because this game was on Fox. Um, yeah, but he, he did get out of that uh, bases-loaded jam in the fifth. There, I think it was bases-loaded with one out. He struck out Jorge Polanco, one of the Twins' better hitters, on an elevated fastball, and then he struck out Josh Donaldson on a beautiful pitch on the outside corner right at the knees. Donaldson was pissed about that one, um, but it was definitely a strike. Um, the Yankees were up one nothing at that point. Tyler Wade had an RBI single uh slapping the ball the other way outside pitch to score O'Dor in the bottom of the second nice piece of hitting there by wade not trying to do too much um so that made it one nothing and then the yankees blew it open in the bottom of the fifth after cole got out of that jam um base the yankees worked the bases loaded tyler wade scored on a wild pitch pulled slider slider kenta Maeda was pitching for the for the twins he hasn't been as good this year as he was last year he's at, he has a four four one era so kind of a disappointing season for him and he, had, he was actually pitching pretty solid through, I guess, four innings. And then he did lose his control in the fifth. Like I said, Wade scored on a wild pitch. He Maeda pulled a slider there. So it was 2-0 Yankees. Maeda get, got pulled. Stanton then ripped a 2-RBI double to left. Then Voigt doubled again, scoring two more runs. And the Yankees made it 6-0. Game was over at that point. Um, the only scoring the Twins had was an oppo home run, opposite field home run by Jorge Polanco off of Lucas Lickie in the eighth to make it six one. Um, and then in the bottom of that inning, Andrew Velasquez actually took the first pitch of the inning out, line drive home run to right field in a flash. The Yankees made it seven one. That was his first Yankee home run, and it, they kept showing his parents because Velasquez is a pretty cool story. Obviously, you know he's filling in for Glaber Torres. At short, while Glaber is injured, and Andrew Velasquez was born and born and grew up in Bronx, in the Bronx, um, grew up a big Yankee fan. Um, signed with the Yankees, I believe he actually played for like the Indians and the Rays, and then he got signed by the Yankees recently. Um, obviously, got called up, like I said, and he's been playing really well. So he's actually living with his parents still right now. After every game, he's going home. Every home game, he's going home to his parents um, in their apartment or whatever in the Bronx. Um, he hit a home run in the eighth, and to make it seven-one, and it was pretty cool to see his parents and his family. Pretty emotional, um, but it's just a cool story, and it's really fun to see him playing well. Um, yeah, bottom of the ninth, Albert Abreu came on, made it one-two-three to end the game. He continues to be super impressive for the Yankees. I actually have his rookie card couple of his rookie cards so i can see him being like a Luis heel type he has starter potential he's just coming out of the bullpen right now and he you know he might get traded or something because he's a, re- a really highly regarded prospect i guess but whatever team he ends up being on i i think he's going to be a good starter um so yeah seven one win for the yankees that made it three straight against the twins nine straight overall just dominating the twins. It's kind of pathetic um, if you're a twins fan, no offense. I'm sure Joe is listening, um, but he knows how well the Yankees play against the twins. Um, The Yankees have now won the season series against Minnesota for 19 consecutive seasons. That obviously doesn't count last year, um, 2020 when they didn't play. Um, So yeah, the Yankees took care of business against Minnesota. Unfortunately, like right after the game, On Saturday, they already postponed Sunday's game. Today's game, because of the hurricane, like I said earlier, and they're making that up on September 13th at Yankee Stadium. So another great week for the Yankees, going 7-0. They entered um, Sunday's games four games back in the division, two games ahead in the wild card. So if the season ended today, the Yankees would be hosting a wild card game. Um, The Yankees are on a nine-game winning streak, so... Yeah, super impressive. Um, just th- it's a different team. Like I say, I keep saying it, but it's a different team since the deadline. Since I guess that that blow up against the Mets on July fourth, it's felt like a different team. And they uh, they were saying on R two C two that the fact that the Yankees took so many gut punching losses early in the season against Boston, against the Mets, against the Angels, and they they would always bounce back the next day and like win the game and stay alive. You know if 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 they would follow up these deflating losses with more losses, then you could see why the Yankees maybe would become sellers at the deadline or the team wouldn't be worthy of investment. But since this team showed some resiliency just coming off those tough losses and winning those games the day after, they deserve, they warranted moves at the deadline to improve the team. And sure enough, the moves at the deadline to improve the team have made just massive differences and the team is finally playing baseball the right way. They're playing, you know, small ball, they're bunting, they're getting on base, they're stealing bases. They're putting pressure on the defense by just putting the ball in play. It's such a more fun it's just a better team to watch. Um and the the skies I honestly think the sky is the limit with this team. I think four games in against Tampa or four games behind Tampa with like a month and a couple weeks to go. A month and a half or so of the season to go. Why not win the division? Um, this team can absolutely win the World Series with the with the with the talent that it has on the injured list, <laughs> and the way they're playing without those guys, I don't see why they can't. Um, so, going to get into my hitter and pitcher of the week. The hitter of the week really took no uh, no thought process. It was pretty obvious. It's uh, it's Luke Voigt this week. He hit four seventy six two home runs 11 rbis in seven games uh, a walk four strikeouts and three doubles so you know luke voigt came out after that doubleheader, the first game against boston basically saying that he deserves that playing time even with rizzo here and he is no doubt backing up those comments uh there right now there's just no there's no taking him out of the taking him out of this lineup um he seems to be seeing the ball pretty well, and he's not trying to do too much with it. You know, I think I commented last week about how Luke Voigt seems to be swinging out of his shoes all the time, swinging for the fences. He seemed to kind of take that out this week. You know, a lot of RBI singles, RBI doubles, not just swinging for the fences, hitting the ball the other way. Um, Finding holes in the defense he's staking his claim for playing time and and Boone said that they're they're going to try to find ways to get him in the lineup which he absolutely deserves that DH position is going to be rotating a lot throughout the rest of the season you know whether it be Void DHing one day and Rizzo at first or Rizzo DHing and Void at first um, or Stanton DHing Gallo um, you know Stanton's going to be playing a lot more outfield now that we have Void back and and Rizzo at the same time someone's got a DH and someone's got to play the field you know you'd like to have all these bats in the lineup it is a good problem to have you know you don't want to have not enough talent right now the Yankees kind of have too much talent which is like I said a good thing and you know Rizzo's a free agent this offseason and and Voit still has a, I believe a year of control under the Yankees so you know he's he theoretically could still be the first baseman, starting first baseman throughout the entirety of next season if the Yankees decide not to re-sign Rizzo. So I, I personally think we might actually re-sign Rizzo, but that's that's a conversation for another time. I, I don't know if the money's going to work with, you know, judges' payday's coming up, um, Glaber's payday also coming up, you know, Gary Sanchez. A lot of those young guys that have gone through years of arbitration are finally starting to have to get paid pretty soon here, so I don't know if the Yankees are gonna shell out some cash to Rizzo. We'll see. Um but like I said, still a good problem for the Yankees to have. It's it, considering how bad like everyone was hitting earlier, it's nice to have an abundance of players hitting well and Rizzo or uh, and um Voigt is one of those guys. And I'm honestly just pretty happy for Luke Voigt as a person. You know, he he seemed to be a little upset after the Rizzo trade. I'm sure he felt pretty offended But he did understand the trade and why it needed to be done. He acknowledged that he hadn't been up to par. He'd been injured this year. Um, So it's nice to see him really breaking out and playing great baseball when it really matters for the Yankees. So happy for him. And my pitcher of the week is Andrew Heaney. You know, it it could have been Garrett Cole who had two pretty solid starts. But I'm going to give it to Andrew Heaney just because... After winning that doubleheader on Tuesday, so many Yankee fans were basically chalking up Wednesday's game as a loss, considering Andrew Heaney was pitching and just how disappointing he has been so far with the Yankees. You know, coming off that Field of Dreams game where he was pretty embarrassing, he no one expected the Yankees to win that game on Wednesday, and it started off badly for Heaney. You know, he gave up that home run, opposite field, upper deck home run to Xander Bogarts, and it was kind of like. Oh Lord, here we go again. But he he flipped the switch from there. He was he just was the complete opposite of what people were expecting and dominated that Boston lineup for seven innings. I know they've been struggling of late, but it still is a pretty impressive lineup. Um, at, at least they're in the middle. I think they're weak in the back half, and you know they lead off with um, Hernandez and Verdugo. I think those guys are less than impressive, but he still totally settled down and was very impressive for the yankees so i i have to give him the pitcher of the week for his best start in pinstripes when no one was expecting it he went seven innings two hits only one run four strikeouts two walks shout out to andrew heaney i mean this will probably be his best starts in pinstripes best start in pinstripes if we're being honest but still happy for him he came you know it's a tough market to pitch in and he he gave a good start today so or uh, on Wednesday. So shout out to Andrew Heaney for that pitcher of the week for the Yankees um, coming up this next week. They play, I'm sure they're, since the game on Sunday got postponed, the Yankees probably flew out Saturday night to beat the hurricane. They're playing two games in Atlanta on Monday and Tuesday, Atlanta's on a nine, uh, on a um, eight game winning streak. They're currently first in the NL East. So tough series there um, for the Yankees. I'm not sure who's pitching as of right now, but still tough matchup against Atlanta off day Wednesday, and then a four game set in Oakland Thursday through Sunday, a place where the Yankees have definitely struggled over the past two seasons. I can't remember the numbers exactly, but I do remember them mentioning on the yes broadcast that the Yankees are like one and nine or something in the past 10 games in Oakland. So in Oakland's a team we're fighting with in the, in the wild card battle. So big big series there um, to cap off next week looking forward to it going to be a lot of late west coast games and I believe the Yankees have the Sunday night game so I'm not sure if I'm going to do a podcast after that I might do one since I might do one on Monday after work since the Yankees don't play till like nine o'clock that day um, because it's a west coast road trip and they're playing the Angels in Anaheim but we'll see Um, that's you know that's the recap for this week and I'll get into the news and notes from around the league. It's a little bit different this week because just there's not a ton. like there's nothing crazy happening this week. I know Steve Cohen had a few comments about the Mets struggling. Dodgers are hot. Um, but I want I saw this article that ESPN posted. I think it was on it was on the 17th, so Tuesday. Um, it was basically, ESPN got a few different writers. To write an article on what they would do if they were commissioner of the MLB, like what changes would they make, Um, you know, kind of examining some of the issues and the storylines happening in two thousand and twenty-one. So I'm gonna there's eight proposals, and I'm kind of just gonna talk a little bit about each of them and give my thoughts Um, because it's an interesting article, and I thought I I I could comment on it. So the the first proposal comes from um, Jesse Rogers. And he says that the MLB should shorten the season by an entire month. So cut out the the regular season part of September and make that the playoffs. So his his argument is basically that like by the time the pennant races really heat up in September, um, you know mid to late September, the the country's kind of moved on from baseball and is fully in football mode, and baseball kind of gets overlooked during its, you know, most important regular season games. So he says and this is a quote, you know, picture this. The the excitement of a trade deadline leads right into the pennant races. As football inch, inches its way toward the starting gates, baseball ends its season with a bang. September playoffs won't feel secondary to the pig, pigskin sport. They'll be right next to it in the headlines. And end quote. He kind of go also mentions like the secondary positives, like you know, career stars um, are gonna be playing more games. Pitchers less wear and tear on their arms, um, making up for like the loss of the revenue because of fewer games. Um, there'll be less reasons for star players to take games off. Stands would be filled with even fewer games to choose from, so you know more fans going to the games, um, and. Kind of an important one for me is like playoff weather would not be an issue because as we all know, toward the end of October, especially in some of these East Coast cities, um, Northern cities, it gets pretty cold and baseball is a warm weather sport. And I know for a fact that the cold weather affects the hitters much more than the pitchers. We always see the Yankees bats kind of go cold in October, you know, whether that be facing better pitching or the weather itself. For a fact, it is harder to hit in the cold weather. It's just the Yankees always start out slowly in April when it's cold and the bats seem to go cold in October when it gets cold. So wouldn't have to worry about that. It would be warmer in September having the playoffs. Um, And then, you know, anyone that would argue, well, the stats aren't going to be the same. You know, how are we going to look at all-time statistics if these guys are playing 30 less games? Well, this guy, Jesse Rogers, claims that percentages are in and counting stats are out. Um, you know, an OPS based on 132 games will still have the same meaning as it did based on 162 games. I mean, that's true, but I don't know how you're going to do like all time home run leaders or all time hits leaders, stuff like that. My personal opinion, I agree that the the hitting or the baseball is not meant to be played in the in the cold in October like it like it has been forever, but I have no issue with 162 day, game schedule. Baseball the season is a grind. It's meant to be a grind. there there's always been talks of shortening the season and it's never happened. Same in the NBA. They they are always talking about shortening the shortening the season and it never happens. And it all kind of stems down to TV revenue. So I think the last thing that all these teams want to do is cut out games. You know, we just saw the NFL add another game to make it 17 games. All because of TV revenue as well. Um, It's all about those TV contracts. And I don't think that the MLB is going to do anything to shorten the season. I like 162 games. I don't care if people are watching um, football more than baseball in September. October is... Still huge. Everyone talks about the, pl- the playoffs. People watch the baseball playoffs. It's the most exciting part of the season. And yeah, I don't think it's, if, if I'm commissioner, it's not on the top of my list shortening the season right now. So the second one, the second list or the second um, fix to the MLB comes from Bradford Doolittle in this ESPN article. He says that the, the MLB should expand and realign the leagues by geography. So he wants to see the the MLB expand to thirty two teams, kind of like the NFL and NBA, who now have thirty two teams as well. Um, and he also wants to realign the divisions, kind of like how the NFL has, um, or I guess sorry, no, the the NBA has their Western Conference and their Eastern Conference. He wants the teams to be aligned by geography, not American League and National League. And he goes on to say in this article. So I'll just read from the article. He says that means the time-worn American and National League destinations designations go away. If you start shifting teams that that have been around for 120 years, I don't see how you keep the league labels as they are. This is like this is assuming that the MLB adds two teams and make it makes it 32. So he says you'd go to an Eastern League and a Western League, each with two eight-team divisions, and within each division you have two four-team pods. The playoffs would include six teams per league with the four division champions earning a first-round bye. The geographic pods within each division are important for scheduling reasons. These will be the most frequent matchups on the schedule. The winner of each pod will get a playoff spot unless that team is the overall division winner, in which case the the next best team in the pod gets to go. And then he basically says this is all, you know, due to regional regionalization which is something I commented on recently how MLB is very popular within the, the regions that, that there, there are teams but not necessarily nationally so he wants the MLB to the MLB structure to reflect that and really cater toward the reason, regionalization of the games he wants to build those rivalries starting in the minor leagues um, which have kind of already become more geographically aligned and will become more geographically aligned as time passes. He doesn't want to ignore the national aspect of the sport, but baseball is very local and he wants to cater to that. So I my opinion is like I agree. I think the MLB should 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 expand uh to 32 teams. I think if they do, it'll probably be like a team in Las Vegas as we've seen the NBA expand to Las Vegas or sorry not the NBA, the the NFL expand to Las Vegas. Who knows, maybe the NBA will one day too. I know they have the summer league there. Um, and probably Charlotte would be Charlotte or Nashville. I know both of those cities, all three of those cities already have minor league teams, but doesn't mean they can't have a big league team. Um, probably Charlotte, Nashville, or Las Vegas. Two of those cities will get one. I'm all for that. I think there's enough talent in the minor leagues and throughout the big leagues to add two new teams. And it wouldn't dilute the the league too much. Um, I I disagree with the east, the Eastern League and Western League or whatever it was that he called it. I think baseball's been around for so long, and and we've never really complained about the American League, American League and the National League. I don't I don't think anyone has any significant issue with it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of traveling at, at some points in the season. Yeah, you know, have a West Coast road trip, East Coast road trip, but. It's not that big of a deal. I I don't think we need to dive into complete realignment and change the the structure of the league in that way. Um, But I do agree with the expansion. I think the MLB will be expanding pretty soon. Um, We've seen the NHL expand significantly over the past few years, and I think the MLB will follow. So that's my thought on the second point there. Um, the third point they they uh, they give is from David Schoenfield. He says that the MLB should introduce a pitch clock. And yeah, I, I totally am right there with him on this one. The minor leagues already have a pitch clock. I think it's 15 seconds. We saw a pitch clock in the Olympics with no runners on base. Um, and he lists all these stats of how games are lasting longer and you know pitchers are taking longer in between pitches and that's totally true um theo epstein has been a strong advocate for adding more action to the game um, and doing whatever it takes to make the game more interesting i think a pitch clock is definitely one of those um we need to see the ball in play more often you know allow players to show their athleticism and give fans what they want which is action not standing around pitchers taking years to um in between pitches you know i the uh, MLB network was showing like a classic game. I want to say it was from the eighties or something. I can't remember who was playing, but one thing that really stood out to me is it was a world series game. Um, and the pitcher, you know, it was a high leverage situation late in the game, runners on and the pitcher would literally throw a pitch, get the ball back, take like five seconds, get a sign and go. And just, it was crazy how much faster the games were back then. Um, i saw a graphic i don't have it in front of me but there was an it was a graphic how like a a world series game in 1984 was like an hour shorter than a world series game in 2020 it's it's crazy how much slower the game goes and you know you see pitchers in these high leverage situations um, whereas in 1984 the guy was still pitching like really fast now you know he throws a pitch gets the ball back takes at least 20 seconds you know walks around uh stretches his arm out, deep breaths, shaking off the pe- the pitcher or the catcher, you know, deciding what pitch to throw, gets set and then finally throws the ball. After all that, it's like 30 seconds in between pitches, which is just it's a little ridiculous. Um 15 seconds I think should be the pitch clock. And if you're going to give a pitch clock to the the pitcher, you should not let the batter step out of the box. Keep the game moving. Sure, we might lose some high-quality pitches, whatever. No one cares. People want to see the ball in play uh, and some action. So I'm all there for the pitch clock there. Um, I agree with David Schoenfield. Um, next one was from Jeff Passan, and he says to bring in the robo-op, the robo-umps. Robo and, you know, based on the umpiring that I've seen like over the past few years, I tend to agree with him on this one, too. I don't know how it, how it would work if we're going to... You know, have still have the umpire behind the plate, and he has some sort of like iPad strike zone where it tells him if it's a strike or a ball, and he just sits there and calls it or what? Um, I, I do agree. I think the the strike zone should be robotized or whatever the phrase is. Um, it's just at the end of the day, umpires can have such an influence on the game just based on their own strike zone. And you know, there's kind of a domino effect can cause players money, cause games, cause all this stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think Robo-Ump's, I'm there for it. If if there's a way to get it right 100 percent of the time, versus you know the human, the human, the human eye, the human eye can fail and be wrong. It's it's also can be biased. Um, why not get it right all the time if we can? Um, and catchers have been taught over the years to like play to the play to like exploit the the umpires maybe fa- failabilities and biases, you know, f- pitch framing and all that stuff. Why not? Roboumps, I'm I'm here for it. Um next one comes from June Lee who says that we need to end streaming blackouts and loosen video rights restrictions. So this is another issue with the MLB and growing the game and everything basically if you're in a certain area if you're like i'm i live in the detroit area so i'm blacked out for all detroit tigers games i can't watch tigers games i haven't watched a single tigers game this season due to these blackout restrictions now it's that is because i don't have cable um and I, i i use mlb tv to watch all the games the streaming package that mlb provides which is a great streaming package if you're not in these blacked out cities that you want to watch and you know so much of the younger generation is cutting the cord not getting cable and using all these streaming platforms to watch their content so how are we going to grow the game if these guys these younger people can't watch it if they're blacked out like for example last week's uh, field of dreams game in dyersville iowa you know someone living in iowa so they don't a state that doesn't even have an mlb team you get blacked out. So if you're using MLB TV streaming platform and you don't have cable to access the local networks, the uh, like the B- Bali, Bailey, whatever it's called, Bal- Bali Sports, it used to be Fox Sports that usually has all the games for your local market. If you don't have that and you're using MLB TV streaming and you're from Iowa, you're blocked out. blacked out from the White Sox, Cubs, Twins, Brewers, Cardinals, and Royals six mlb teams you cannot watch and interestingly enough dyersville iowa where the game was is located four hours from chicago four hours from minneapolis three from milwaukee and more than five from st louis and kansas city and you're still blacked out from these teams it makes absolutely no sense especially if we're trying to cater to these younger generations that like i said are cord cutting using streaming services they can't watch these games because they're there's blacked out of so many of them so how how is the league going to grow amongst the younger generations it, it makes no sense they're cutting out so much potential growth for no real reason at all they're just blacked out because of geography because they expect these fans to go to the games but if you live in iowa and you're freaking five hours away from st louis why are you blacked out from the cardinals games it's it's honestly infuriating The the league needs to work with the TV providers to make streaming these games so much easier. Um, And the second half of this, this, uh, this argument was loosening video rights restrictions. So it's not just the blackouts. I'll just quote from the article here. It's not just blackouts. While MLB has loosened its social media video policies in recent years, the league would be prudent to further embrace the rise of social media as the dominant conversation and consumption platform for fans. The future is on social media, in the hands of fans, and MLB needs to make creating baseball-themed videos using game content as seamless as possible by loosening its reins on copyright violations, similar to the NBA, which treats user-generated content like free advertising for the sports. And this is so true. I'm not like a content creator in the, fact, in the sense that I post videos on Twitter and Instagram um, using like video highlights from the MLB. But basically, the MLB doesn't like these content creators using their own videos from their broadcast on social media. Just because of the, the, the um, copyright violations that come with it, I guess. But the NBA and other leagues, NBA, NFL, um, NHL, all love the fact it's free advertising for the leagues. You know, you post a highlight clip of, I don't know, uh, a crazy John Morant dunk, and it gets a million views on Twitter. That's just free advertising for the NBA. But the MLB, for whatever reason, doesn't want these clips to be posted on social, posted on social media due to copyright violations. It's like another way, another way the MLB is just shooting itself in the foot here, um, stunting its growth amongst especially younger generations who are on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram 24-7. They pro- most of these younger generations don't even watch the games themselves. They just watch highlights and clips on social media and kind of get a sense of who's doing well and who's playing well. So just absurd from them. We'll be totally agree on making changes um, to, to those. And the next one um, comes from Kylie McDaniel. Um, and I, th- I believe that is a female, but I'm not sure. So they say that uh, the MLB should allow the trading of draft picks. So interestingly enough, the NBA, NHL, NFL all allow the trading of draft picks, but for whatever reason, the MLB does not allow its teams to trade draft picks, which is another kind of way the MLB is shooting itself in the foot. I think if you allow you know teams to trade draft picks it kind of adds a a more dynamic aspect to the draft increased interest you know because heading into the nba draft and the nfl draft all we hear about is besides who's going to pick who is like oh the the 49ers could trade up here who could they trade to get to get to one you know the grizzlies um made made a trade with the pelicans um for to move up to the 10th pick from 17 and there was even there were more rumors that oh the Grizzlies could trade up or trying to trade up again they might get up to two or three or whatever it may be it just adds interest to the draft and right now the MLB draft isn't very interesting it's it's by far the least popular of the major sports leagues maybe the NHL is less popular I'm not so sure but definitely way less popular than the nfl and the nba drafts and part of that is because of the high school guys that you see coming out you're not going to see them for another five years whereas in the other sports you see them right away in their rookie seasons um i i do think this is a good move it it would be a good move it's kind of a no-brainer um and kylie also you know says that this i'll just quote um this would also give innovative teams more ways to be on the cutting edge, which is always a positive, and scouts more ways to create value for their clubs. It might even create more jobs for scouts, since more players could be picked by each team, making more scouting reports necessary for each club. I just think it's a no-brainer. Uh, makes the draft more interesting, you know. requires front offices to do more work around the draft. Just all... all any way to make the draft MLB draft more interesting, I'm here for. So, yeah, I have no issue with the MLB allowing teams to trade draft picks. I think it's a no brainer. So, agree with that one. Um, and then another one, I think this is the second to last. Yeah, second to last one comes from Alden Gonzalez, um, ESPN writer. He says that, and this is one that I strongly agree with um, pay minor leaguers a living wage. Yes, I could not have said it any better myself. So he starts out, he, he quotes, um, and this is just a quote from the, from the article here. It says, Minor league life has been portrayed with a certain charm over the years. The long bus rides, the endless string of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, the tiny apartments, all of it depicted as, an, as a necessary rite of passage, even though the reality is it's a lot colder and darker. It is exploitation. Could not agree more. He goes on to list the salary. So he says that salaries actually rose between thirty-eight and seventy-two percent in twenty twenty-one, with players from rookie level to AAA making somewhere between four hundred to seven dollars a week, seven hundred dollars a week during the season. Obviously, they only work like, I guess, six months, six months a year. Um, sure, that's an improvement, you know, four hundred to seven hundred, but it's not enough. I mean, there's still minor leaguers that we see sleeping in. Cars are in part apartments, like totally infected, just well, like with cockroaches and bugs and all that stuff. Um, just like a bed and nothing else, no amenities. It's you know players starving themselves because their paychecks aren't large enough to cover the living expenses. I mean, it's a it's it's a joke. It is a total embarrassment in my opinion from the MLB that they can't pay these guys a living wage. How do we expect young players, youth players, want that want? How do we expect these young kids to want to play in the MLB and in, in baseball when they know they have to go th- through the minor league process? And these guys are essentially living in poverty. I mean, I make more than most of these minor league players. It's pathetic. And, you know, and NHL, they make a livable wage in the minor leagues. Um, NFL, I guess, doesn't really have a minor league. They have the, the practice squad, which those guys make more money than minor league baseball players. Uh, NBA G League, those guys make really good money in comparison to minor league baseball players. And I'll I'll quote how Alden ends up his piece right here. Um, He says, Minor league players don't have representation by the MLB Players Association, and their peers at the major league level, for the most part, don't fight them in collective bargaining, largely because they all went went through something similar. That doesn't make it okay. Improving the quality of life for minor leaguers will improve the quality of their play which will improve the quality of baseball in cities throughout the country. Which will elevate the sport. But this is something significantly more than that. This is about p- treating people with common decency. I yeah. End quote. I, I just, to- I totally agree. Um, it's inhumane the way they treat these professional athletes. People don't realize how good minor league baseball players are. I mean, th- I know there's a there's a huge gap between AAA and the majors, no doubt. But these these are some of the best these are the best baseball players in the world treat pay, you shouldn't be basically living at the poverty line having to work two jobs when you're one of the best athletes in the world in my it's just embarrassing it's a black mark on the mlb in my opinion pay these freaking minor leaguers um they all deserve a living wage, livable wage um and i know there was a report came out this week that the MLB is thinking of introducing a salary minimum I think that's just for the big leagues trickle that down to the minor leagues too so there's some traction um on this topic we'll see what happens in the coming weeks and months and years but just pay these freaking minor leaguers I mean it's it's amazing that these guys really do make it out of the minor leagues considering how much money they make they just have to absolutely eat sleep and breathe and love the game of baseball and I got Uh, like uh, the utmost respect for guys that spend you know years in the minor leagues grinding it out not willing to give up on their dream because there's so many guys that have probably had to quit and get out of baseball just because they can't live on a minor league wage um so yeah come on do something about it um the last topic or the last way to improve the game comes from tim keown and he says to To rethink the role of the commissioner. This is true in the MLB and throughout all of the sports. Um, I'll just read. I'll read this because it's not too long. Um, It says, or Tim writes, the problem starts right at the top. The commissioner represents the game, but in the end, he works for the owners. Rob Manfred, for, for instance, has been undeniably good for the bank accounts of the men who own the teams and bad for just about everyone else. Under his watch, the sport has faced a list of public relations disasters that wouldn't fit, up, fit on a lineup card. You know, he goes on to list, the game will survive, it always does, but the commissioner is focused on, you know, the DH and extra innings and seven-inning doubleheaders the sport is getting, while he is focused on those things, the sport is getting more smaller, more regional, less inclusive. Um, you know, owners need to be held accountable for willfully failing to f- field competitive teams. Um, conditions in the minor leagues are bad he goes in on all that so basically his argument is that rob manfred and the commissioner's role right now is all about just deepening the financial pockets of the owners and all he really cares about is catering to these owners and making them happy but he does he really care about you know growing the game making baseball more national less regional as it is now it needs someone who understands the game way more than rob manfred does does rob manfred even watch baseball for all we know i don't know um we just need a commissioner who cares way more about the game's well-being and really loves the game for what it is than someone that is just there to please the owners and i i agree with this as well um rob manfred i mean rob manford and bud Sealing really two controversial commissioners the past two um rob manford did a horrible job of handling the covid negotiations last off season, and in my opinion an atrocious job of handling the Astros suspensions with not a single player from that cheating scandal getting suspended at all um all stems down to just making these owners happy so yeah i, I totally agree and i think that's kind of true throughout all sports you know uh, adam silver or I, adam silver i think has had he start he, he he's much better than david stern in my opinion but of late he seems to kind of be bending over backwards for the players and the owners as well um he's done some good stuff so i can't complain obviously roger goodell has always been super controversial but yeah rob manford by far just i don't think he watches baseball i just don't think he does he doesn't he doesn't do what's best for the good of the game. He doesn't seem to be wanting to grow the game whatsoever. There's so many opportunities out there for baseball to grow as a sport, and it's just not taking advantage of them right now. So, yeah, disappointing. But I just thought that was a really interesting article that ESPN posted this week. Um, if you want to go read it, it's on ESPN.com. It, the title of it is Pitch Clocks, Realignment, and the End of Blackouts What MLB Would Look Like If We Were Designing It Now. Um, yeah, you can go check that out. Uh, it's from Tuesday, August 17th. But that is all I really have for this podcast. Should be going up uh, much earlier than it has over the past couple weeks due to the rain out this week. But yeah, another great week for the Yankees going 7-0. and We're in the driver's seat in the wild wildcard right now. So keep pushing. Um, West Coast road trip this week after those two games in Atlanta. Hopefully the Yankees' bats stay hot. Pitching stays relatively on fire Um, and we'll catch you guys back here next week for a recap might be on Monday like I said earlier um, just due to that late Sunday game but yeah thank you guys for listening I hope you all have a great week let me know your thoughts on the that ESPN article and my opinions and you know be a good dialogue to have I'd be interested so yeah thank you guys all for listening to this podcast and making it this far and we'll catch you guys on the next episode peace out